Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, it's your green hungry lizard that you can ride, wizard Holden McNeely. Hey, it's me, your clapping Chuck Bruiser, Jay. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm went clapping. With that. I'm a clapping I'm Chuck. Glad you went with the football playing. I'm a clapping Chuck. Villain. I'm not a charging Chuck. Fuck you if you call me a charging Chuck. I swear <laughs> to Christ in heaven, if you mistake me for my brother charging Chuck, when I am clearly clap, 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 a clapping Chuck, I love... I will break you against the fucking donut flavored <laughs> rocks. I love a clapping Chuck. I, I, the enemies in this game. We are today, everybody, we are talking about Super Mario World, which I have been really looking forward to doing this episode because I am a massive fan of the game Super Mario World. I'm sorry, are you talking about Super Mario Brothers 4? Absolutely, actually. I am talking about Super Mario Brothers 4, but they changed the name, you know, they're keeping it fun, they're keeping it loose, and I'm glad they changed the name because this game, it really is such a different game from i feel the nintendo you know uh uh the nes super marios they upped it a huge notch so many extra mechanics there's so many extra uh new characters i mean you've got yoshi which really changed the game um you've got the spin jump you've got the cape you've got just and then a, a, a Mortal Kombat 2 level of secrets mm-hmm. going on in this. I'd say they do even better than MK. I, I love the the secrets in this game, like, set my brain aglow. Like, I when when this game first came out, I'm immediately gushing. I, I love Super Mario World. And if you don't like Super Mario World, you're fucking stupid, idiot, moron. Sonic sucks. Jake? Well... It appears I have been insulted, for I do not find Super Mario World to be that revolutionary. I don't understand this, Jake. What he- What the hell? Like all f- strong opinions that people have, this one is based only on initial impressions from childhood and nothing more. I don't. I. I got. I, I'm about to throw you under the bus somehow. I'm gonna frame you on the internet <laughs> and get you killed. Uh. So here's here's my mind. Here's where my mindset was. I was late to the 16-bit train. I was. I had those parents that are like, "We got you, and you have. A, we we did it. We got the video game. You have the video game now. You don't need the new video game." Mm. And so I never got uh, my Super Nintendo with uh, Super Mario. So World it just it. came with nothing. It came, yeah, I think it was like a base pack, and I think I got. I don't even remember. It does, doesn't matter because the other. I, I was. I, you know what it was? I was of that Donkey Kong Country wave of Super Nintendo that gotcha. finally put it over the top. Gotcha. But when I played Super Mario World, having 
played Super Mario Brothers 3 inside and out, where it really was just about go right. Go right, just go to the right, do not explore, do not like dawdle, do not, you know, uh, there's like a couple of secrets, like there's like four secrets tops. Everything confounded me. Everything like just, I could not, like I, I was so young when this game came out that I did not understand how aerodynamics worked let alone how the cape like went up and down. Yeah, I just thought yeah, it was like yeah. a shitty raccoon tail. I, I could see. Okay, so the complexity threw you off a little bit. The I should and the and the uh, the kind of the slower, more deliberate pace threw me off. The idea that you're if you're just going to the right, you're actually playing the game wrong. You're mm. missing the key exits. You're missing the side paths. I, yeah, I genuinely did not understand how to oh, get that's out what of makes the. Uh, so good. I was I was an idiot child, like fumbling, <laughs> trying to figure out how to get out of the lost. I do remember. Woods. I do. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say. I do remember like the first time. I think it especially happens in the Lost Woods, where you were just like, "What? This just goes in a loop, and I have to figure it. I have to even just to move forward. Like usually, the secrets are optional to give you extra levels and things like that, and even actually help make the game easier, which we'll get into. But uh, Lost Woods, the first time, it's just a loop de loop until you figure out the secrets, forcing you to solve the the multiple exits and all that kind of stuff. On top of that, I don't know whether my just primitive child brain was just warped by as we described in our in our literal first episode, Sega of America's marketing was fucking nefarious, uh, bloodthirsty yeah. and omnipresent. I was a Sega kid. I, I didn't I don't think it was cuz of the marketing as much as I, it just seems so different and exotic, and no, I don't was, know. I was, was just it looked one like over. fucking Darth Vader's codpiece. Yeah, it was a fucking cool thing. I was won over by by just the look of Sonic One. I yeah. think I was so just Sonic like One so blown away. It's about running to the right yeah. in the flashiest way possible it's about with robots, not, not seeing as much content as possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I remember just being wowed by Sonic the Hedgehog because it just hit me on a twitchier base. And I just forever just never gave Super Mario World a shot. Dude, I you can you please actually go get a hold of it and play it for legits? Well, I would love to play it on my Nintendo Switch Online uh, subscription. I hope it happens soon. But the fuckers aren't giving the people what they want. I hope it happens. So, by the way, we did brush past one thing, and that is that uh, Super Mario World was the pack-in game that you would get when the Super Nintendo was released, and we're going to talk about the development of the Super Nintendo as well. We're going to pack that into our episode, but I, I, I consider it, obviously, all right, have I said this yet? I think Super Mario World may be the best game ever made, personally. Uh, if you were to ask me what my favorite game from my childhood was, I'd say Final Fantasy VII. If you ask me what my favorite game of today is, I would say Dark Souls. But if you ask me to what I think maybe the best game ever made was, I may have to say Super Mario World. And uh, so not only uh, do, do I feel that way, but of course I also feel like that is the greatest pack-in game for any, like, console. That mm. is That is... The best launch game of all time. It, it and I remember when the commercials more came so out, than Mario sixty four. A hundred percent blasphemy. One hundred and ten percent. If Mario sixty four, I would say, I would argue, besides it being a really cool thing to speed run, does not hold up nearly as well as Super Mario World. And and Super Mario sixty four was incredible game changer. We may even do an episode on that at some point. You know, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It, it it changed the whole scene. I get it, but World still to me feels in a way, kind of perfect and be, and pure and wonderful. Uh, and I remember seeing the commercials for Super Mario World and like just doing the little thing where you could punch the screen and flip into the Well, that background. was revolutionary. That <laughs> shit looked crazy. Like all, all of that. So it just looks so fun and the cartooniness of it. Finally, Mario's got like whites in his eyes. He's more detailed. He looks more fun and cartoony. Everything else does as well. 
the you know everything Yoshi the cape I already mentioned that stuff but it just looks so amazing and I couldn't wait to get to a buddy's place who had a Super Nintendo to play it and uh, discover all the wonderful secrets and everything I have fond memories of hanging out with people and playing that game but also later in college when I got into emulators I remember replaying Super Mario World and really being old enough to thoroughly like 100% the game and explore every little nook and cranny of it and then that opened it up again for me now it's a game I try to play once every couple years I love this game I I just think it's just it's got so much going uh, on with it also though let's cut to this past week this what maybe two weeks ago uh, Summer Games Done Quick 2019 I'm sitting there I throw it on I'm seeing what's going on and it's one guy uh, named Mitch Flower Power sitting in a chair playing this game and three guys behind him and it looks like Super Mario but it's not it's a game called Grand Pooh World 2 <laughs> and uh I literally just mouth agape watched as this incredible g- gamer blasts through this seemingly completely impossible series of jumps and twists and stops and starts and uh shell jumps which we'll talk about and all these different things and uh you know I had I have like totally watched people play Mario Maker a bunch and people play the Kaizo Mario games and stuff like that and I've always been curious about it always enjoyed it but it's really been this past week or so that I've I've been deep diving into that community a little bit more um just scratching the surface though really I feel like as much as I say deep dive and thoroughly enjoying what that community is the I'm I'm what I'm referring to is the ROM hack community and so not only is this an episode about the launch of the Super Nintendo not only is this the episode an episode about what I think may be one of the best games ever made but this is also an episode about a community of ROM hackers that have reinvigorated Super Mario World, but in a completely new and wonderful and fantastic way. And of course, that'll wrap in with uh, Super Mario Maker and Super Mario Maker 2, which just came out, which I've also been mildly obsessed with. Uh, More so almost watching other people play it (laughs) and make levels on it, even than uh, playing levels and making levels myself. But I love that this exists. I love that we have just gotten to this, like, uber layer with super mario and especially super mario world that is just on another planet that is literally people are making versions of super mario world that are physically unplayable for like all but like one percent of of gamers one percent what get out of here with that easy shit point zero one per zero one honestly it is it is it doesn't take you 400 hours to upload your own level you are fucking casual to So uh, I'm trying to think of other elements to to talk about when it comes to this game. I think the first time I discovered the Star World, mm-hmm. uh, getting to play those that final set of levels, the when special, you, the funky, special, groovy, which I never even got radical. to until later, like as a young adult in college. I don't think I ever even seen those levels, and then I was blown away again at just how crazy hard that levels were. I think that Nintendo finally understood with Super Mario World the dual way to Mm -hmm. make a game that is both for the casual and pro level gamers and it is a philosophy that they have continued on into the modern marios where you 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 could make it there's a way to like warp almost immediately to bowser's castle you know there's also a, a secret hidden 
thing that I loved that I, I found out by watching one of those like TV show. I forget what show it was where they showed you like secrets at the. I think it was that game show where you pl- where you played games Nick on it. arcade or something? maybe or I, like powered time. There something was some- there was that one game show where you got to like run around inside the fake video game store with a Velcro suit on. It might have oh, been that one. That one. It yeah. might have been that one. It might have been something else. But either way, he showed me how video power something like that. There's that. Uh, haunted uh, house, uh, ghost house in the second world where you, if you go in there with a cape, you can uh, run underneath all these ghosts that are popping in and out and fly up to the ceiling in the very first room and get to a secret exit that uh, gave you an, uh, this level that you could go into that had no time limit or anything that literally just gave you a Yoshi and either a, f- a feather or a flower, depending on what you wanted. And then when you left, you could just go back in over and over again. And instead of Yoshi, if you already have a Yoshi, you get a one up. So it was a way that you could, it, it was a pain in the ass, a bit of a grind, get 99 lives for your Mario World game pretty quickly, pretty early on. I mean, they just, there were so many brilliant. Nah, the best way to get cheap one ups is uh, you get one of the levels where you get to climb the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, bopping those turtles counts as like an air combo because ah, you technically haven't hit the ground. That's fun. So if you go out of your way to kill every turtle, it's just like one up, one up. Oh, I didn't even. Know I that love that one. you could bop the fence. Dude, that I was love bo- all the sound effects in the game. We haven't even talked about the, how great the music is, how great everything feels. Ah, it's just phenomenal. The way that the bongos kick in when you get Yoshi. <laughs> yes. It's so good, and and, and uh, just just fucking swinging their dicks around, being like, "Look, we have a fifth audio channel." It felt like they just got to a climactic point in their two D platforming with Mario that we haven't quite gotten back to honestly since, even with the newer Mario games. I think uh, there, there's just something so magical and special about Super Mario World. So let's talk about it first. Um, here's a quote from Miyamoto to kick things off. I want to see console games become a destination for play, a world that kids feel a kind of affection and attachment to and want to return to again and again. So here we are. Let's let's look at uh, where we're at at this point. The Family Computer, or Famicom, or Nintendo, as we know it in America, uh, it was so popular it inspired, of course, a bunch of other Japanese companies to get into the old home console market. We already mentioned Sega, namely NEC Home Electronics, comes out with the PC Engine, or as us olds know it in the U.S., the Turbo Graphics 16. Jake, do you remember the Turbo Graphics? Did you ever get to lay your hands so on the Turbo Graphics 16? So I grew 16? up in New York, where uh, the Turbo Graphics 16 had its first test market. Mm. So it was like an actual competitor. There was like kids I knew with a Turbo Graphics 16. And uh, fun fact about the Turbo Graphics 16. Uh, even though it had a 16-bit graphics bus, it still used an 8-bit processor, and technically it was an 8-bit console, but we're not going to get into that. Aha, uh-huh, interesting. I did not know that shit. So but, was it cool? <laughs> uh, not really. I remember not really. Like my, it's one, it's one of those, okay, it was one of those video game consoles or toys that when you went to your rich friend's house yeah. and you saw that he had one, you were like, oh my God, can we do Even more so the Jaguar. Yeah, uh, I don't think I knew I don't any think Jaguar. I, I know. Thing. I'd always see the pictures in magazines and be like, whoa, it's the best thing there is, which is hilarious. In, in a time where like we were literally using 8-bit consoles, the Jaguar came out and was like, it's got fucking 64 bits, <laughs> which is, you might as well have called, been like, it's got 11 bajillion bits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like an unfathomable it number. It looks real. You could get lost in the game. <laughs> God. 
the, just and what did it have? Nothing but Nothing. like shitty Mortal Kombat knockoffs. It was weirdly had very little going on for it. Uh, well, I guess that makes sense. It was probably a pain in the ass. To oh, but anyway, yeah. So one of those consoles that your rich friend was just like, "Fuck no, it's terrible," and like you couldn't believe their lies. <laughs> You're like, "How could it be terrible? It's a video game." <laughs> and he's like begrudgingly dusted off and plugged right? it. In. Because that's the thing. Because I think it was just about rarity back then. You just like never saw those systems, at, you know, really, and so you just thought they were probably better and more special somehow because uh, again only your rich friend had them but that's but uh, the pc engine was a huge success in japan oh okay and uh really threatened nintendo because as we covered in i think our uh, mario one episode uh the nintendo is this very bizarre kind of uh machine that really is underpowered and like had a few tricks that made it better than like your dad's 8-bit home computer but it was it was very easy to top in the visuals department like you know, it had a very limited color palette, very limited memory, and the cartridges were expensive, and Nintendo had an iron grip on the on who can produce those cartridges. So it just really made sense for other companies to just come out with something that was more powerful because just that's how computers work. Sega put out their Mega Drive or Sega Genesis in the late 80s. Um which, of course, sported the 16-bit graphics and sound, which was a huge jump, as we said, from NES's 8-bit system. And uh, though these systems started off small, Nintendo began to realize they needed to get on a system upgrade when they noticed sales for the Genesis were starting to pick up. So they were very reluctant to get on the Super Nintendo track. They were really kind of... shuffling their their toesies about it a little bit and kind of harumphing about it but nintendo does begin work on a new system in uh 1988 i love here i had a typo it says 2988 and it was like (laughs) the future masayuki yumura who designed the original famicom returned for the super famicom he is an engineer that joined nintendo in 1972 before that he worked at sharp corporation you know sharp uh uh, is Sharp hardware. NEC Titans of yeah. weird like VCR TV combos. Yes, 100%. <laughs> where he ended up assisting Gunpei Yokoi with his toys in the way of solar cell engineering. And if you know Gunpei Yokoi, he got his early success in Nintendo with his toys like the arm extension grabber and the love tester. We mentioned him before, and he ends up creating the Game Boy. So I think that's how Uemura ends up getting uh, his in at Nintendo. Meanwhile, and- Uemura like, literally just knew a guy back at Sharp that could cut him a deal on 8-bit processors. Nice. And, like, that changed the path of video game history. Dude, that's amazing. So, yeah, after that, he became manager of Nintendo R&D 2, the famous group that created, I don't know, like, all the video game stuff that you love, uh, which led to the Famicom. The Super Famicom now is released in Japan in November of 1990 for around $210 U.S., and received a lot of success, partly due to its third-party devs, including Capcom, Konami, Square, Enix, because they were two different companies at that point, and Tecmo, but also because of its murderously awesome pack-in. And let's get into it. Let's start with the team. Well, it, I don't think it was a pack-in in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, because it only had two launch games in Japan, and it was- F-Zero, right? And uh, World. Well, at least in U.S., it did very well because of that. I remember that was- Definitely the, like, killer app was Super Mario World, it felt like, for a lot of people getting a Super Nintendo over a Sega Genesis. When the, Again, I remember those commercials. Like, I, I can play them in my head. The the just, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it being, and I remember, too, it being, like, 
do I want Super Mario World or do I want the Sega Genesis? You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily like when I was looking at getting a new console or getting a, my first ever console because all I had is a, was a Game Boy up to that point. I remember it being it feeling like that. Like I was going to get a Sega Genesis that had these games on it. And yes, Sonic was the big one, but you know, these different games on it, Altered Beast. But for Super Nintendo, it was like, I mean, there was also F-Zero was pretty dope. I really, I really liked F-Zero, but I, I don't know. I looked at Super Nintendo as just like the Super Mario World console, mm -hmm. you know? Well, it's actually, it's it's a weird thing to think about, but uh, for a while, we all looked at all those Sega commercials. I was like, blast processing. And we were like, oh, that's kind of bullshit. But in reality, like the Sega Genesis did run, its processor did run at a higher clock speed. And therefore, it could do stuff like, sports games and Sonic the Hedgehog games and racing games a lot fa like they could actually just scroll faster mm. than the Super Nintendo could the Super Nintendo yes. had a more had a slower uh CPU but a more robust uh graphics processor so it could do like more layers of parallax and more colors on screen at the same time and more sprites and that weird like slowness and deliberateness meant it was a beast for JRPGs ah yes and it's like a very so like which I mean Secret of Mana, Final yeah. Fantasy three. Of course, we talked about Chrono Trigger recently. Yeah, it's just an unbelievable so JRPG system. Those uh, old commercials where it was like Sonic the Hedgehog going vroom, vroom, zoom zoom zoom, but Super Mario is like beep 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 was actually like more based in reality than we thought. That's hilarious though because if you get in the later episodes or uh, rather levels of Super Mario World, it is just like. Ah! Like, it is just like you are sprinting for your life, like, all the way to the end. Uh, it's, like, kind of funny to even even think of it like that. Uh, but, uh, of course, Sonic that Jog is just, like, a blur, you know, made you go cross-eyed. It was so fast. So, let's talk about the team. These are some characters you may have heard of in the caves behind your house. This you is the son of a ultimate bitch. cave Never, behind your no house. no more. You, hold in, cut the mics. Oh, it's no. our meme, and I'll never Stop let it the, go. Fuck. No, I swear to God, if you do it even house. one more time. But he looked at the kids when he no, it's, it's, it's so Zelda. overplayed. Have you ever Ever looked at your caves behind your house? Yes, yes, I did. I, I like it as a metaphor. It means you know, pull from the world around you to create your beautiful art. We get new listeners every week, <laughs> and they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's the caves behind your house. All right, you know what? Compromise. You can do it 48 more times, and then that's it. I wish we could have. I wish I could go back in time and rename this podcast "The Caves <laughs> Behind Your House." <laughs> Why not? I mean, it would be better than Wizard and the Bruiser. <laughs> no, I, I, not that I don't like Wizard and the Bruiser, but the Caves Behind Your House is so good. Or Way Way Back Machine, but I don't want to curse the podcast by bringing him back. Or her. I can't really tell it's a machine. Uh, but it is we sexual. We can't <laughs> yes. figure out what gender it is. Definitely but it sexual. Is I think it's like one of the. It's like a, a one of those worms where they have like both. both? Yeah, it's probably one of those worms. And then they link both. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anywho, Worms with both, also a great podcast. Uh, I name. hope you're really a first-time listener listening to this and just being like, what are these fucking stupid-ass side jokes? I just wanted joke? to know about Mario. <laughs> well, let me tell you about it. Here's the team. I'm going to call them the Dream Team, too, even though that's what I called the uh, the uh, Chrono Trigger Team. Uh, so we've got, of course, Shigeru Miyamoto. He is the producer. Uh, I have a wonderful quotes, by the way, from each of these guys, and I just want to give a special shout out to Schmopulations. 
Uh, so Shigeru Miyamoto said, how to describe my role? Basically, I stood by and watched closely for a long time what everyone was doing, interjecting various ideas of my own here and there. People, though, like to say that, you know, he was super all over every decision that was made in Super Mario World. Very, very uh, hands-on, the whole process. Uh, Takashi Tetsuka is the director. I came up with many of the different enemies and gameplay mechanics, often working late into the night. I also talked through ideas with the staff, making decisions and helping the game take shape. Occasionally, Miyamoto would pop in and say, nope, that's not going to (laughs) work. Toshihiko Nakago, the programming director, says, I directed the programming side. In consultation with Tetsuka, I uh, supervised everything that was programming related. Then you have Katsuya Eguchi, the Gooch, a different Gooch. Mm-hmm. He was the area director. For Super Mario 3, he helped draw the levels. After that, I did some other work, but then I returned to the Mario team as the level director for Super Mario World and concentrated on making the levels. Hideko Kono, though, worked with him. Hideko Kono was the map director. I worked on the maps and stage designs together with Katsuya Eguchi. We laid tracing paper over graph paper and painstakingly drew levels every day. By the way, this is back in a time where they had to hand draw the levels and then scan them into a machine and then have, like, the programmers, whatever, put them together from, from that crazy i mean we think about it now how how in fact i could i can right now and we'll talk about this later in the show use lunar magic to to create all of my levels in system for super mario world specifically (laughs) and it wouldn't even be that difficult to learn how to do it seems like by base by basic overview of the tutorials of how to use lunar magic now you've got koji kondo the composer From composing to programming to sound, I've been involved in all of it, starting from the very first Super Mario Bros. He's the dude who's made all that nostalgic Mario music that you know and love. Thank this guy, Koji Kondo, for creating it. Shigefumi Hino is the character designer. It was my second year at the company, and it was the first game I worked on that went out into the world. He is also credited for designing Yoshi. We'll talk a little bit more about the design of Yoshi as well uh, later on, and... In addition to this team, how many was that? Seven. Plus three other programmers created the Super Mario World team. That's right. Ten people. Just ten people to thank for one of the greatest games ever made as opposed to what you have now, which unless you're like a super small indie dev company, we're talking about hundreds of people working on a single game. Pretty it's amazing still stuff. surreal to me that like, even with the caveat that the games are less resource intensive and you don't need as many people, Nintendo was a company literally producing, you know, how many thousands of people are involved in the production and packaging and distribution and marketing of the games themselves just to get the physical box into people's living rooms so they can just play and all in service of getting them to play this game. And the people who actually made the game itself is 10 people. Yeah, that's like so weird to me. It's unbelievable to me. And like a, in like a movie, you you see all the credits, and you know it's eight thousand names. More now in the age of like a million CG studios doing all the post production, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. This is a production. I came out and I saw a movie, but the idea that they designed a, an affordable computer and put it in a plastic casing, and then they marketed it in different casings for different regions, and they did all this shit so that. A four megabyte thing (laughs) that 10 people worked on could entertain children. And 
I would also like to add that based on at least the interviews that I read, specifically the interview, again, thank you, Smopulations, it really seems like they got along. They genuinely like each other. And this is a team that's been working together. Most of these guys have been together working on Mario games now for years and years. Like, they've been working on Mario since the very first iteration of it. There's that, and but I'm always a little skeptical of, like, Nintendo interviews because they True. are so clean cut and kind yeah. of just, like, half of them come from internal, like, self-published guides or like no, one, no one's gonna dish but i will say it is a little bit of a testament that they're all still working at nintendo you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. like I, I would say that yes but it would be a little fishier if they dropped off very quickly after making just one game but most of these guys they keep pumping them out and keep working together and uh they seem to laugh together and have fun and so i'd like to think at least that they are act like legitimately like Nintendo happy people. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the people that you listed end up working and helping create Pikmin and yeah. Mario Maker mm-hmm. and Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing, yeah, I believe it was what was it? Uh, Iguchi was the guy for Animal Crossing. Uh, either way though, just just yeah, the, these is Mario the, Kart. Like you know, yeah, all these-, these guys are really actually going to go on to not just continue to make really good Mario products, but really good Nintendo products that are like just. It kind of boggles franchises the Franchises in their own right. Yeah, how success, how many successful franchises came from this specific group of people. It's really wild. But I guess it makes sense because they did make what I would say is maybe one of the best games ever made. Uh, okay, so development. Let's talk about it. I would like to say, first of all, fuck you. Second of all, I want to say, I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. It's summer in New York City. It's so hot. I'm sweating Rage. so much right now, Rage guys. is just part of the background radiation. I hope you can just like... Feel how much sweat is on me right now because it is ever present you on my could, whole body. It, we are both just great sources of electrolytes right now. I'm mad at Jay because he's not as sweating as much as me, but I think I need to go get my glands checked. So it's one of those. It's like yeah, neither here more than the other. What's the phrase? Five in the bush is one in the hand in the caves behind your house. We uh, turned off the air conditioner because we're professionals. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's me, your bodacious bruiser, Jake, here to talk about our new sponsor, Gabby. Gabby was started when its founder, Hanno, was trying to find the best rate on car insurance when he moved to the U.S. from Germany, and he couldn't believe how challenging it was. Hey Hanno, I could have told you that. Uh, Shopping for car insurance is oddly specific, it's oddly convoluted, and half the time you're just picking ones based on which commercial has the catchiest jingle. Well. Hano is smarter than me, so he decided to create a solution of his own. He made Gabby.com. It's a free tool that compares insurance rates from across all the top providers and finds you the best rate for your exact coverage, and it all happens in less than two minutes. So how do you use this? Just go to Gabby.com slash wizard and link your current insurance account and instantly receive quotes from nearly every major insurance company. I just used Gabby myself. I went the browser route, although the app is extremely easy to use. And this is the kind of stuff that I am terrified of. This is the kind of weird grown-up, big boy responsibility that makes me groan and drag my feet. But Gabby.com made it super easy. I was shocked at just how seamless, clean, and quick the entire experience is. Gabby users save over $800 per year on average. And if they can't find you savings, they'll just let you know. And hey, you just spent two minutes knowing... You actually got the best rate in the world, so good for you. And here's the big kicker. Unlike other insurance comparison sites, Gabby will never sell your info, so you're not going to receive any annoying spam or robocalls. And before you ask, what does Gabby stand for? It stands for Get a Better Insurance. G-A-B-I 
Gabby. Go to Gabby.com slash wizard and start saving money. No fees, no forms, and no spam. Take two minutes and see if you can save up to $865. It's two minutes. What do you have to lose? Go to Gabby.com slash wizard now. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash wizard. One of the main challenges was developing for a new system that had not come out yet, and the software tools were not fully developed even at the point when they started working on Super Mario. I think for them, the way I kind of the feel like it, because again, you're right, they don't talk too negative necessarily because it's a Nintendo-branded interview, but I will say that it does seem to, to it does feel like they all shuffled their feet, like I said, getting to the Super Nintendo. I think all of them were very happy with how well they knew the Nintendo, how well they knew how to program games for the Nintendo, and I think that it was a bit of a fucker for them to have to learn a totally new set of rules. Actually, I think, too, having that limited amount of space and all the weird stuff they had to do with sound and with memory, I think those restrictions, they began to actually lean on them as a crutch almost, and having those restrictions released... I think put a lot of stress on them and pressure on them. Like, fuck, we have all these options now? Shit, I kind of liked it better when we only had nine colors to work with because then we just like, just that was what we had to work with, you know? Well, it's interesting uh, for two reasons. First of all, this team literally came right off the heels of Super Mario Brothers 3, which yes. is in many ways the pinnacle of Nintendo programming. Like they yes. genuinely accomplished what was previously impossible things with that cartridge because they knew the hardware inside and out. Second of all, they were still actually pretty limited because uh, oh, sure. By ROM the way, chip prices yeah. mm-hmm. were still prohibitively ex- expensive. So think about this. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 was shipped on a 3 megabyte ROM chip, or megabit, don't correct me, but you know what I mean. Three, three Nintendo <laughs> three of the points. Little, yeah, three little Nintendo things. Well, Super Mario World actually only takes up Four megabytes or megabits or Nintendo points, whatever. <laughs> fucking don't at me, you fucking <laughs> hardware engineers. No, but I love how you're making it sound like a bunch of hardware engineers always attack us after episodes, but I have not seen evidence. I of see this you out there with your protractors waiting to assault me. <laughs> you have think, them like little brass knuckles. I think you have the, the heat paranoia right now, Jake. I think that's what's happening to you. But better tech meant more options and less restrictions. Still, Miyamoto says... We no longer had the restrictions on scrolling and the number of colors that the Famicom had, so it became much easier to depict things. That was nice. However, before starting Super Mario World, we ported Mario 3 to the Super Famicom as a hardware experiment, and even though the colors and sprites were more detailed, it was still the same game. It made me realize that we couldn't just make the same game again. We had to create something new, so it was in that context that we talked about how to make the most use of the new hardware. There was a lot of discussion about it, actually. Miyamoto also spoke about how they had already established the game feel with Super Mario 1 through 3, so this game was about polish and adding new elements such as Yoshi Cape, etc. It's actually it's fascinating that they did start by just trying to directly port Mario 3 to the new hardware. Because throughout the game, there are all these weird holdovers from Mario 3 that you could tell they was just they did the work to get the ported sprites in. And at the last minute, they just didn't have time to replace them. Mm. Uh, some of the piranha plants in uh, some of the levels are clearly just rips from Super Mario Brothers uh-huh. 3. 
the uh, the super uh, super cape kind of like mirrors the Tanuki suit, uh-huh. and then like they had to tweak it. So the idea is that they built Super Mario Brothers three, and then immediately started tweaking things and adding things. I also feel like that's how we got to Super Mario All Stars, which if you don't know what that is, it's phenomenal. I wish they would re-release that for Switch because they just took Mario one lost. They didn't do. Did they do two? Uh, they did one lost levels. Three, two and three. Two and three? Yeah. They did a re-release of two on that? Yeah. Inter- oh, awesome. Four so games in one. Four games in one. It's phenomenal, but with up- updated Super Mario World level sprites, graphics, etc., feel, all of that stuff. Really killer. So if you want to know the best pack-in probably of all time ever, that would be Super Nintendo packed in with both Super Mario All-Stars and Super Mario World. So in other words, you get five amazing video games in one pack-in pretty spectacular uh so anyways another thing they wanted to do based off of their experience with super mario 3 they wanted to make it easier than 3 miyamoto said super mario brothers 3 was made for experienced players who had delved deep into the previous mario games in contrast we aim to make super mario world friendly to beginners as well but still exciting for those who played super mario brothers 3 they also added i think this was one of the big big uh amazing changes or additions, rather, that gave a Mario experience for both players that love a challenge, that are more experienced, and super, super duper newbies. They added the switches and the invisible blocks that can get filled in. And that was a big discussion with them. Miyamoto said, one of the issues with action games is how to make something that can be enjoyed by all skill levels from beginners to more advanced players. One way is to add an easy mode, but I think the best method is when the player can adjust the difficulty himself while playing. The dotted line blocks fill that role in Super Mario World. Miyamoto wanted to create levels where even after you beat them, you want to go back and explore more of them. Therefore, making them easier was a necessity in his mind, but also filling in the blocks would help you get to a secret exit or something like that. So again, you were, oh, I got the switch. I remember that world level in world three where I could go back. Now I can go back and I can use those filled in blocks and get to the keyhole and take the key, put it in the keyhole. This was uh <laughs> this is also a landmark uh, shift in game design, which is what Mario's kind of been the whole time, which is a a seismic shift away from arcade. Where mm. like it wasn't about lives, it wasn't about score. Yeah. It was about exploration. It was about like being in the world and actually have, you know, you never went back in old arcade games. That yeah. was like, you know, unless it was a cheap thing where they made you replay the game to get to the final level. But that was just, again, an excuse to get quarters. I feel like there's a, you get a little bit of that uh, RPG influence in that sense, right? That there's a world map, that it, it doesn't mind that you would go one place and then be like, oh, I'm actually going to travel back to... All the way from World Seven to World Two, and because I I remember there was actually a, a secret exit in that one. Of course, this was denoted by the fact that if it was a a yellow dot to mark the level, it only had one exit. If it was red, it had multiple. So you knew that for a fact uh, going in. So you I did help. not know that when I played it at the <laughs> time, and it frustrated me. Also, there is an entire generation of early Nintendo players who did not know that it was counting. That like the little number next to your save file was counting exits, not percentage. So there were like these poor kids that had played through every level up and down, searched, gotten all the special levels, all the Star Road, and like still their name said 96. And they're like, where is this 4% that is stymieing me? <laughs> 
so also, man, I wish I could be a fly in the wall for their brainstorming process. Apparently, they would just spend hours as a team in a room discussing sky's the limit, right? How do we do something different with blocks? And that was a lot of how they got to the switch thing. What do we or, do? Oh, no, the turning blocks. Yeah. Way huge improvement over the normal bricks. The turning blocks, too. Yeah, those were cool. The um, Well, they already had music note blocks, but still, it was it was just like, how do we take this element and iterate on it? We have it. We, we want to bring it over from Super Mario 3, but what do we do to make it different and interesting? Uh, what was also interesting to me, though, was during this time, they were also brainstorming for a new Zelda game, which would be become one of the best Zelda games of all time. I literally was talking to my brother on the phone, and he's actually, I think for the first time ever, playing through Link to the Past uh, because I got him an SNES Mini. And uh, he I th- and he's just like, man, it is so good. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, now's the time. If you haven't played these games, by the way, get a, get an SNES Mini. Get get a hold of this stuff. Super Metroid, Zelda Link to the Past, and Super Mario World are, are fucking incredible today. You know, 10 years ago, 10 years from now, they'll always be a fun experience. They're amazing, amazing games. They look great. They feel great. Just f- fantastic. Don't they play them on like your crazy. phone. They're terrible on your phone. No, yeah. Why would you do that? Because bought an Android phone you could finally install your own emulators and so you're like sweet I'm gonna <laughs> play all these that, old games but it fucking sucks because nah, the touch controls are yeah bad. yeah don't do it don't do it Jake's don't do it Jake's. and don't play Fortnite just, just play these games anyways Miyamoto said it's almost entirely the same team for both series talking about Mario and Zelda and while we're bouncing ideas off each other you often hear things like oh that idea would work better for Zelda I think so maybe you'll see Link riding a dinosaur next game I love I love that idea though that that um that, you know because these to me are two masterpiece games Games that they were in the mix together in one brainstorm room, man. It'd be so cool to like learn how to understand Japanese and like sit and go back in time and fucking be a bug on a wall. No, I, are you kidding me? Yeah. I would pull a total yesterday and just be like in a world where I know the <laughs> secret knowledge. We should have uh, we should have them come out of an egg. <laughs> yeah. They then take these ideas to the programmers who attempt to realize them. They then look at that product and they go from there, just revising, tweaking, constantly changing. Uh, the levels were, as I said, created by hand. Kono said, we laid tracing paper over graph paper and painstakingly drew levels every day. A wad- I like the idea that one of these uh, graph papers just has like a bunch of fucking fish on it. They're like, <laughs> fuck ton of these dolphins. Just get these <laughs> dolphins flying just everywhere. Just loads of them. Awada said, back then, a lot of time elapsed from thinking up a level to actually running it in the game. Kono said, yeah, it took a whole day. We'd give a level layout to a programmer in the morning, and a working version would be ready that night. But then we'd try it out. Something would be wrong, like a Goomba sunk into the ground. Uh, Miyamoto claimed at one point that uh, also, so do you know more about this? That due to the whole Nintendo pressure, the execs were freaking out because the, like Sega was like being this, making all these big moves to stress Nintendo out about competition. And he said in hindsight that Super Mario World suffered from a rushed production schedule. And that is shocking to me in consideration of the fact that I do hold this game in such high regard that he feels like it was rushed and therefore maybe not as perfect as I think that game was. Uh, I mean, they had to release the Super Nintendo, so there was no delaying it. It was going to be the launch game. Right. There was no way around it. The fact, I mean, we'll get into it later, but the fact that there is so many exploitable glitches in the game speaks to the fact that they probably could have benefited from more QA. The only thing I can think of at the moment is... uh, there was this urban legend going around that in the Japanese version of Super Mario World, Yoshi- you could bring Aerith back to life. Yes, which was <laughs> fucked up and weird because she was like the polygons alone would cause your uh, system to just burn. 
uh, no, that uh, Yoshi could eat the dolphins on one of the on the dolphin jumpy level, and uh, in America they couldn't. And the urban legend was that's because the PC police think that you you know tuna can't eat do- dolphin safe man. Like, isn't that interesting? Because in, in Japan they'll fucking kill a whale and, and honest, eat its heart. And really, honestly, what you do you have to do is go into the secret exit and defeat Shang Long. Oh my god! That would get you to uh, noob side. Then Bye. Akuma would show up. <laughs> And then you could catch Pika Blue. Uh, no, but the reality was is that if you had Yoshi on the dolphin level, you could actually eat like the one dolphin platform that you needed to finish. Like it would, it would cause a um, you know a no go. It would cause a an soft end. lock. Yeah, one of those. Soft lock is essentially when you do something, and a, le- a lot of times this will happen in ROM hacks, which we'll get into, where uh, they make it so that like it's not that you die, you're just sort of stuck in like a room because you killed whatever thing you needed that. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, you you just you'd have to essentially just reset the game at that point because there was no way to kill yourself or anything unless uh, there's a timer. They reuse mini bosses a lot, like you know you fight Resner, the Triceratops squad, like a couple of to- a few many times. Also, I had to double check this. The 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 Triceratops guys, you know, it says Resner's right there on the thing. Yes, uh, that was cha- that was changed in translation or something like that too, though. Yeah, because all the Koopalings had like cool rock references where they they I don't think they do in America, but uh, like the Pretty Hate Machine had like just come out. That was like yeah, I a don't real. Know they, that was like a real like. That was pers- that really a Trent Reznor reference? It was absolutely a Trent Reznor wow, reference. Wow, that's amazing! And, in a Super Mario World game. And by the way, if, if you weren't around during that time, Nine Inch Nails was like was almost like more evil and insidious than Marilyn Manson. I mean, and this is like the most cartoony, fun video game. It's a very good album. So, let's talk about Yoshi. Let's talk about it. Caves behind your house now. First um, of all, let's just agree this is the best version of Yoshi. Modern Yoshi freaks me out. He has two hands. He has way too mannish hands. He doesn't look, he's not rideable anymore. He's basically standing upright. Uh, his weird gummy mouth is just always like, meow, 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 meow. The thoughts and opinions of Jake's just now do not reflect those of the podcast. As he's a like become shorter than Mario somehow. It's just, he's an abomination. <laughs> this is classic Yoshi, rideable Yoshi. And uh, my favorite thing is that when Yoshi first hatches, you get this fucking paragraph of dialogue coming out of him that's like, Hooray! Thank you for rescuing me. My name is Yoshi. On my way to rescue my friends, Bowser trapped me in that egg. And then, like, so it establishes that this is Yoshi. He is a singular character with, like, a life and dreams and speaks fluent language. He is a conscious being, and you can chuck him down a pit at the soonest provocation. And all those other, who are those baby Yoshis you're finding? Is Are they all named Yoshi? That's weird. Yeah, you're talking Is he the president kind of, of Yoshis? You're kind of fucking And they're me all up named right after now. him? <laughs> well, I do. Why know. is this Yoshi speaking fluently? And then after this, he's just all like, infinite baby. So apparently, according, to a, according to a 1993 Nintendo character guide, his full name is T. Yoshisor Munchakupas. Mm. And I think that may be a species thing. Therefore, uh, Yoshisor Munchakupas. Uh, if I may refer back to the founding document, the weird black box that appears and stops <laughs> the says, game dead in its tracks. It says, my name is Yoshi. My name is Yoshi. Well, maybe Yoshi's just the shortened version of, maybe he's, all right, his name's Yoshi, right? Mm-hmm. The species is Yoshisor Munchakupas. He's just the OG. And then they all have other names like Rita and Lawrence. 
No, they're all Yoshis on Yoshi Island. I guess you're right. Also, in this game, uh, if you notice, he has gross orange stub arms, which is weird. I still like him better than his gross man fingers, but uh, if you look at Yoshi, he has orange arms, and now you will never be able to not notice that. Programming director Yoshihiko Nakago said the biggest thing was not having to worry about the the hardware limitations like we did in the Famicom days. One specific example would be Mario riding Yoshi. We came up with that idea a long time ago, but couldn't do it on the Famicom. I'm really happy we finally got to realize that in Super Mario World. So apparently during the development of Super Mario World th- or Super Mario 3, rather, Miyamoto had a bunch of sketches on his desk, one of which was Mario riding a horse. Apparently Miyamoto really liked horse riding. He also really liked country and western themes. Uh, I have a quote from Tezuka. Sure. Uh, the interviewer asks... Uh, How did Yoshi come to be? And Tezuka answers, Shigeru Miyamoto said he wanted Mario to ride a horse. A horse? The interviewer laughs. Tezuka answers, I think he likes horses. When we were making (laughs) Super Mario Brothers 3, he had drawn a picture of Mario on a horse, hung it on a wall near where he used to sit. I used to look at that and think, I think he wants Mario to ride something. (laughs) So when we started making Super Mario World, we were working with the concept of a dinosaur land. So I had Hino do art for a kind of reptile. Now, uh, Tezuka actually did... Uh, a lot of like early work on the Yoshi sprite. Uh, if you you can actually find this on an, an interview that Nintendo posted around the time where uh, when the uh, SNES uh, Classic Edition came out, and this early Yoshi Tezuka's Yoshi has like a very weird kind of like freaky yeah. pointy mouth. He's uh, got a creepy. He looks almost more like the di- dinosaurs. In the sh- TV show Dinosaurs, he looks like he has neck frills that'll like uh, pop out and like spit acid at you. He's more, not as friendly. M- more turtly too. It's got like a bit of a beak almost formation for a mouth. Yeah, it points out. It just it looks. He looks like an enemy. He doesn't look like a friend. Yeah, he looks like an enemy. In other words, he looks just kind of not fun enough. And uh, so Hino says uh, Tezuka had done a rough sketch and it was cute and pretty good. So I polished up Yoshi into its current form based on that. So he added the rounded nose and kind of like softened his It's really that rounded nose that sells it, I think. And uh, even though it clearly looks like a saddle, everyone involved swears it is a shell. Hmm. The thing on his back is a shell. It's kind of like a shell in the, yeah, that is like formed into a saddle for (laughs) Mario to ride. Which is weird because that means evolutionary. Like, who was riding Yoshi before that? Also, back to um, the idea that this game was a little bit half-baked, there are tons of scenarios where the game does not know how to handle Mario with Yoshi at the same time. There are, like, weird enemy interactions where, like, if you run and grab Yoshi first, then come back to the level with the uh, Bonsai Bill, the Bonsai Bill won't kill you if you're just standing still on Yoshi because it doesn't know how to handle that, like, interaction. There uh, are some enemies, most enemies, when you when you get a hit, you know, Yoshi pops off and runs away, but some enemies will actually, like, just kill Mario straight ahead. And there's a whole scheme of glitches and speedrunning techniques that are all reliant on the fact that if you send out the tongue for Yoshi to spit out, to, to eat something, but quickly jump off at the last second, the game doesn't know what to do because it initiated the Yoshi is eating something like sequence, but it knows you're not riding Yoshi. So Yoshi can't have anything. Hmm. And it just starts bipping out stuff into the Ram, like just putting garbage in the Ram that if you manipulate it correctly, you can actually get the garbage to match up with other items and other things in the game. So you can just totally cheese stuff. And that is some weird exploit stuff that we'll get into with the speed running shit. Right. 
Briefly about the cape, Tetsuka said the cape controls where you open the cape and catch the wind rising upwards were a little different at first. We didn't know if it would feel right, so as we had done with Excite Bikes controls back in the day, we solicited a lot of feedback from test players. As we expected, players found the cape too difficult to control, so we adjusted the way it handles so that even though Mario's flying is a little clumsy, the controls feel much more playable. It was definitely a major step up in terms of flight from games previous from the uh from the raccoon tail from the tanuki thing there's so many different maneuvers i love the one where he makes the kate into like a parachute essentially yeah. and you can bounce through and people have done really cool stuff with that when it comes to the rom hacking and things like that in terms of obstacle courses i mean once you master that like swoopy flight so that you're not losing uh altitude uh -huh. you can fly past 90 percent of the game yeah it's or pretty under 90 percent of the game depending yeah, on where you're depending are. on uh in terms of the secrets uh, you know, in a world without save files, as was the case with Super Mario Brothers, secrets were about creating shortcuts. I really love this idea. Secrets were all about how to bypass parts of the game. But now that you have save files are, you know, prevalent, every game has them at this point for the most part, or not every game, but a lot of games, and uh, especially Super Mario World. And so now secrets are about finding more areas to explore not less not bypassing it they had to flip the script on it with super mario brothers or super mario world you know and the first game you know you you in, in world one two you can you know jump over the ceiling and the underground world and find those three warp pipes and go straight to world four and then you can do it again a little later and mario three you have the the whistle and getting do, to do, do. Oh, the best, right? And getting to uh, just go to a completely different uh, world that way, warp and get past things. But Super Mario World, now we're trying to get more stuff. And this was definitely uh, helpful with the, when it comes to the world map to implement this, to find new worlds. And man, finding the Star World for the first time was mm. the coolest revelation ever. The whole thing with the Star World. Again, I remember that being watching it on TV and like reading about it in Nintendo Power, that it was like, Hey, kids, by the way, if you find this secret in one of these different parts, you'll go to this fucking crazy space world, space world. And then if you beat all that, you can go into this even crazier like set of levels that is just so off the map of what is in the main game. And that was really special at the time. I feel like now people take that kind of thing for granted. I mean, it happens in lots of stuff. But in world, it felt unique and special and totally original. And just like it just like felt like the game just kept opening up in different ways and that was like a really it was like a puzzle box or something it just was really magical you you thought the game was worlds one through eight totally straight up the very idea that there was like you finished the game and there was extra worlds yeah was was true. a revelation yeah yeah really cool not an extra level not like a little scene yeah. Just in, just all, basically a whole nother game. In terms of the music, uh, Kondo, who created the music, said, With the Super Famicom, you have to create the sound samples themselves. So compared to the Famicom, it was 100 times more difficult. On the NES, music making was incredibly limited using very simple analog samples. But as Kondo said, with the Super Famicom, we can use the sounds we've created on a synthesizer. The number of tracks we can play back simultaneously has also increased from 3 to 8. Kondo took a year and a half to compose the music for Super Mario World, which is a lot longer than normal for him, and he had to adjust to all the new hardware. It seemed like he really struggled, but I'd say the product is absolutely fantastic. 
This game, Super Mario World, was released in November of 1990 in Japan and North America in August of 1991 as one of two launch games for the SNES, along with, as we said before, F-Zero. It ends up becoming the best-selling game for the SNES and that console generation in, in total selling 20.61 million copies worldwide. And yes, it was a pack-in, so that definitely helped it a lot. But I will also say that I read somewhere that it uh, sold more copies than Sonic 1 and 2 combined. In intervening years since, because Sonic 1 got so many re-releases, Sonic has technically moved more copies. Ha! That's hilarious. So now let's talk about Super Mario World 2 very briefly. Yoshi's Island. Oh, I, think I didn't most, know we were getting into Yoshi's uh, Island. Just very briefly. Right. I just think it's so odd that Super Mario World 2, that Yoshi's Island is Super Mario World 2, because I don't think most people don't associate those two games whatsoever. I mean, it's in the Yoshi's Island colon Super Mario, Bro- Super Mario World 2. Yeah, so it's in the title, but still, when you think about those two games, they're so different from each other, but... That makes a lot of sense. Miyamoto didn't like the other Yoshi games, Yoshi's Cookie and Yoshi's Safari, and he wanted to make something better. But also, the reason why the art style is just so very, very different from Super Mario World was because initially... He was rejected on the pitch to Nintendo marketing as it didn't have the very hip, as you mentioned before, you mentioned this game, the very hip new pre-rendered graphic style of the time was Donkey Kong Country. And it stood out so much. And it was essentially just like, dude, this is what's in right now. You can't just be making something that looks like Super Mario World because everybody's making stuff that looks like this. So he said, essentially, go fuck to these guys. He was like, you know what? Fine. You want me to create something different? I'm not going to create anything that looks like Donkey Kong Country. And he ends up curving way more into a hand-drawn crayon-style look. And that's what you get with uh, Yoshi's Island. Oh, actually, okay, we might actually have some dirt. Okay. Because in the interview I have, there was like a little bit of a... um there was a little, it's, it's a little bit of a different story. Interesting. According to Hino, they hadn't actually decided on an exact style yet, but had been working on developing the levels and developing on like the mechanics. But the company that developed Donkey Kong Country was rare in Britain, and it made an impression within Nintendo. The graphics were such that we had never seen for the Super NES. But development of Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, had already progressed past the point where we couldn't adopt that style of graphics. So we decided to take up the challenge with visuals that were the opposite in the style of Donkey Kong Country. Mm-hmm. So that, like, well, if we can't beat that, yeah. then we'll just not even compete. We'll we're go, just going to go way crayon. Yeah. Yeah, that seems similar to what, what I was just talking about. But it, it, was, it was, like, more necessity than a fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't, I mean, I added the fuck you part to no, try to No, I can imagine fun. Shigeru Miyamoto <laughs> doing the crotch to Generation X chop <laughs> uh, and yeah. wiggling his balls. He's a big uh, Triple H fan. Um, <laughs> At second. And I did, I liked Yoshi's Island. But I don't know. It doesn't really compare. It's a different game. I also ruined Yoshi's Island for myself because I decided to, like, eat a bunch of – we used to have fun with Adderall. You know, fun with Adderall in yeah, high yeah. school. And I was doing that one night with my friends, and I decided to not talk to them for an ent- uh, until the sun came up. And instead, I was going to 100% Yoshi's Island, which was a huge mistake. And it made mistake. me kind of hate that game forever afterwards because I left that house very, very upset um, you probably felt like you were tripping on those puff balls. <laughs> pretty much. So, years pass, and a whole, I think a whole episode we could do uh, is on speedrunning. But we will say that in that time, 
many exploits are found. Like you said, rush process, so many different things. I mean, and in general, when people start speedrunning games, they find every single glitch and exploit in the book. But this game definitely had its fair share, maybe more than a lot of others. Yes. We're talking about the 11 exit run, which is the bare minimum of exits you can do to get to the last level. Uh, and it was also because everyone had played Super Mario, at least a Super Mario game. This was also one of the first like uh, speed running communities that like the videos gained widespread views because people at least understood the skill involved. One of the first exploits that really shattered things was the orb glitch, where uh, again using the same shoddy programming on Yoshi, you could actually just so hit a specific, get Yoshi to eat a specific coin that would. Cause the game to freak out and try and put, uh, I believe, a clapping Chuck into the item box above uh, Mario. But clapping Chuck actually shares the same, like, last few digits with the green orb from the sunken ghost ship. Weird. Which is the thing you touch at the end that just automatically ends the level. Yeah. So with that, you can cut an entire, uh, I think one of the ghost houses or one of the fortresses. Just cut that out entirely by climbing a fence and nabbing it. That was pretty good. But then people discovered the Lakitu glitch, which actually not only helps you uh, like bypass a bunch of the game, getting the Lakitu cloud into the final battle with Bowser fucks with Bowser so heavily that you can actually like control his animations <laughs> as you move about the screen because the y-axis of of uh, Bowser's like little clown ship and the y-axis of the Lakitu are all like jumbling for superiority in the code, which is pretty amazing. Another huge glitch was uh, someone figured out how to 0% finish the game hmm. by using a credits glitch where again, by fucking with the items, they could trigger the game into just running the credits. Nice. Yes, I've I've watched that. I've seen that run. Uh, which had previously been uh, just assumed you could only do with a, a tool assistant. Taskbot, right? Yeah. But uh, someone actually managed to do it by hand, and that cool. was like a big thing. Uh, yeah. And Taskbot famously was by using a computer to like just enter so many specific inputs at once, could actually use the weird glitches in the game to dump so much superfluous code into the RAM that the, you could program games within the game. <laughs> yes, and that's where you get the snake game, right? That yeah, you see which on, was... Uh, AGDQ, which was really crazy. A landmark run on yeah. <laughs> AGDQ when they programmed a game in Super Mario World. So as you can see or hear from what we're saying, these people have found every different possible exploit they can in Super Mario World, Mario World so much so that... People are starting to get a little bored almost. I mean, it's just, it's they have just picked this game apart inside and out. They know everything about the code. But that's why hackers started creating ROM hacks of the game. And most notably, there was a ROM hack And not called, like usual ROM hacks where you just make it so you can see Princess Peach's nipples. No, we're talking about... These freaks decided to do something entirely different with ROM hacks. Super hard, super crazy games based on Super Mario World using all the sprites everything all the tile sets now the most notable of which being the one that really set everything off Kaizo Mario World this is also known as asshole Mario <laughs> actually Kaizo though means to rearrange in Japan it's a series of three ROM hacks for Super Mario World that started in 2007 a ROM file in this case is a copy of the data from a read-only memory chip 
from a video game cartridge that can be modified using software. In Super Mario World's case, most folks use a program we mentioned briefly before called Lunar Magic, which is a level editor specifically created for Super Mario World on Windows by user Fusoya, who started development back in the year 2000 and released the same year, and it still gets updates. It got a big update in January of 2019. So it's still something that's being used constantly, being worked on constantly. And as I said, I looked at some brief tutorial stuff. It would definitely be a bit of an undertaking, but it seems very possible for anyone to pick this program up and start making their own Mario levels eventually. Definitely not as easy as Mario Maker, but you get way more options. And that's why there's still a huge scene for Super Mario World ROM hacks. Now, Kaizo Mario World. Let's go back to that. It was made by T. Takimoto to challenge his friend R. Kiba. What made Kaizo Mario so outstanding that to call it a difficulty spike would be an insult. You need to look up Kaizo, footage of Kaizo Mario Literally World. the first thing. It's like the you fucking load it up. craziest thing the I've ever seen. The first thing that happens is five bullet bills just slam at you instantly. And what you have to do is you need to travel with those bullet bills by jumping on them one after the other to get to the other side of the gap, which is seemingly never ending. But you just have to stay with those bullet bills perfectly timing your jumps in order to do so. By the way, Kaizo Mario was a shortened version of the phrase Jisaku no Kaizo Mario o Yujin ni play Sasero, which means making my friend play through my Mario hack. Uh, it featured many traps and hidden blocks. People r- refer to Kaizo blocks. That means essentially a hidden block that's there specifically to go tell you to fuck yourself. It is literally a, a just Kaizo... Just knowing exactly where the arc of a jump is and to just make you hit it and fucking yeah destroy or your even in other cases like have it be directly under the left side of the tube so that you if you you know you think you're about to finish the level and then it's just there to just make you so so upset it's a troll block is what a kaizo block is so video footage of this game was uploaded to youtube and it goes viral leading to tons of people attempting to beat the games of which as i said before there are three with the third being the most difficult This led to many speedrunners getting involved, and on January 1st, 2015, a runner named Dram55 became the first person to complete a deathless run of the first game, and to the game's inclusion in Awesome Games Done Quick, Dram also ran it in 2015. That's probably the first time I ever saw it. These are ROM hacks, so they're built with safe states in mind. Yes. The idea of running through one in an uninterrupted run is insane. It's crazy. So these are people doing things that some thought weren't even possible to do. I, I remember even going back to Grand Pooh World 2, which we mentioned, uh, the guy who made it, who I was going to bring up soon anyway, his name's uh, Barb, or what I love is full, his real like username is Barbarous King, but everyone calls him Barb. And usually you can hear his name in this sentence, fuck you, Barb, because it's people getting pissed at him because <laughs> he makes just really mean ROM hacks <laughs> that have really just some of the best trolls I've ever seen in a video game. Uh, he is he's a hilarious guy. Uh, I actually, I've been watching his uh, Twitch stream lately a lot. He's uh, always either playing or making Mario levels. And it's really cool to watch his process making because you can see that he's definitely a pro at this point when it comes to this sort of thing and it's fascinating to watch his creation process uh so going back to kaizo the games is gets super popular and therefore the term kaizo is synonymous more so with a hacked game that is super tough dram 55 i love this quote said thanks to the internet all the masochists have been able to find each other 
This is when the Kaizo Golden Era happens. Uh, it's referred to as such, by the way, from a, by a U, uh, Kotaku UK article, and it's generally attributed to the success of Super Mario Maker on the Wii U in 2015. Barb said, uh, who is the creator of Grand Poo World, as I said before. Um, by the way, Grand Poo World, named after his buddy, who all, who is a big Kaizo runner named Grand Pooh Bear. I've been watching his streams a lot, too. He said, after a while, I got tired of the limitations, because Barb actually started on Mario Maker. I got tired of the limita- limited options Mario Maker offered and started branching out to Super Mario Brothers 3 and Super Mario World hacks before I began making my own. He also says, we troll each other, we torture each other, but we also celebrate together. And it just seems like this really cool, interesting community to, to watch. And I, I and they do seem very, uh, they're like there's a lot of camaraderie. They do a lot of stuff at the Games Done Quick stuff every year. They all have Twitch streams. They seem to really all support each other. And it's uh, lately it's been my favorite go-to oh, yeah. Twitch streams to watch are people just playing ludicrously hard Mario levels and who are kind of funny as well, you know, that have a good gift to get. Gab. it's uh, a lot of fun it's also it should be noted that the kaizo kind of um scene uh gave birth to what is basically its own genre of super hard platformers you know uh you probably wouldn't have super meat boy if yeah. it wasn't for kaizo the you probably precision wouldn't. platformer it is it came out uh, of this. i want to be the guy yeah. like all these uh battle kid there's an entire universe of of you know just subgenres and mutations all kind of born from asshole mario one of the big maneuvers you might see a lot, by the way, that I still have trouble wrapping my head around, uh, like even attempting, is the shell jump, or essentially dropping an item in midair and jumping off of it. Oh no, no shell! You, if you can, if you kick a shell against a wall, you can jump up off of it. It just seems pretty... so crazy. Oh, you're, well, you're talking about a midair yeah. shell jump. <laughs> to do a midair shell jump requires timing and precision down to a sixtieth of a second, and many Kaizo levels require doing multiple ones in sequence. It can be done, used uh, shells, P-switches, springboards. There's another big uh, creator and runner in the Kaizo scene named pa- Panga, and he created Panga a Pangea. notoriously difficult level uh, called P-Block, <laughs> which is a P-switch, essentially just like a P-switch air uh, shell jump level uh, from hell. He just uh, released a, a Super Mario Ma- um, Mario Maker 2 level called Panger Things that's entirely upside down. <laughs> yeah, I've... I've I actually already heard about that. I'm just like, geez, Louise. I watch him as well. His streams are great. Um, Super Mario Maker made actually, and two, Super Mario Maker, some might think would have killed the ROM hacking scene, but absolutely not true. It only made the ROM hack community more popular. Uh, They were also able to pull from innovations on the Super Mario Maker side, such as indicators. This is universal symbols or sounds that indicated what a player should do in a given moment. For an example, um, in levels, in some levels, a floating letters Z let players know to spin jump or maybe they'd hear a laugh sound effect to indicate that they made a mistake (laughs) these sorts of communications happening and it's really cool to see the ROM hack community become better and better at conveying information through levels at communicating at at doing exactly what great the great level makers do right Mm -hmm. taking a rule and iterating on it and flipping it on its head and doing it in fascinating ways and not just throwing a bunch of random shit at you. The cool thing about Grand Pooh World 2, actually, one of the things people really love about it is that um, it was uh, Barber's King or Barb's attempt at really making the whole thing cohesive. So levels flow into each other now. Now, if you're exiting maybe a wooded area, it'll ramp up into a beach, and then the next level will be on a beach, that kind of thing. I don't know if that specifically happens in the game, but it's that sort of thing. And, And really creating a world that felt like more cohesive and less just 
just random ROM hacker throw bullshit at you stuff, you know? And I love that. There's a lot, like, he built a whole level based in that game based on Sin's Fortress, which is awesome. And it's a really good level with a really mean mechanic called uh, the tightrope mechanic. There's these ropes in the level, so you can't run on them. You have to, like, you have to, like, kind of slowly make your way through them, and then he throws all these obstacles at you. And then he very meanly throws that rope in right in front of a, a tube at the end of a level, like, way, way later in the game. And, by the way, if you want to treat yourself to some fun, Go on uh, Barb's YouTube page, Barbara's King, and look up all of the like bloopers. Essentially, they're like it's a three-part video series of all of the different Kaizo runners getting fucked over <laughs> in Grand Poo World Two in hilarious ways. And I watched all of it. It's like three fifty-minute clips, and it is so much fun to just watch people lose their minds. Like watch the. Um, Mitch Flower Power run on SGDQ 2019 of Grand Poo World 2 first just to see how fucking hard the game is, but he almost makes it look easy because he sprints through the whole thing. And then go back and watch the torture that was all these different people trying, just grinding through this game. And also, all of their Twitch tags are, are in that video, so you can it gives you a really good foundation of people to follow and check out their gameplay. And of course, when you finish a Kaizo level, your uh, is tradition within that community to celebrate with the Japanese phrase, Yata. <laughs> I did it. There you go. Um, Spam that yata in the chat if you're watching a stream. Also, if you're curious about checking out more of these hacks yourself and playing through things yourself, go no further, look no further than, rather, Super SMW Central. SMW Central is the hub for Kaizo Mario ROM hacks online. It was founded in 2006 by users Kieran and Small Hacker. Uh, all right. I think that's it. I think oh, that damn uh, near covers it. Now there's only done. one thing we caves, need to cover. The caves are closed. We uh, Mary, if you can interject the weird Jamaican theme song to the Super Mario World cartoon no! that Deke produced in the 90s. Super Mario World. Oh, God, it's terrible. Yoshi and the princess. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just don't know how I feel about like it. Like Yoshi in Zion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us on today's episode of Super Mario World. If you enjoy us, hey, consider uh, supporting us further on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We put out weekly content uh, every single week. I'm sorry, what do we put out? I always love it. Weekly content. Okay. What did I say? I thought you said- Cum-tent? Yeah. Weird. We also put up a cum tent. It's a tent made out of my cum. We sleep in it. I got to get out of this hot room. Follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenator. So, if you can leave a review on the iTunes podcast app, it helps us out immensely. lets other people know about it. Maybe if someone's saying, hey, you got any podcast recommendations, be like, I know two sweaty fuckers that you'll probably enjoy. That'd be, I mean, yeah, just say that. It's fine. They'll, they'll think it's cool. Uh, follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And always remember, keep on bruising. And never stop wisdom. Caves! Behind my house! You got 46 more. You moved the caves, but you didn't move the bodies. <laughs> you moved the caves, but you didn't move the bodies. All right, I won't count that one. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Games from the Virginia Lottery are here. The Scratcher gives you the chance to win up to $100,000. The online game gives you the chance to win up to $1 million. For more information, visit VALottery.com.